Welcome to the Wander Learn Podcast. I'm your host, Francis Tapon. This is episode five of six featuring Rufina Garay and our conversation about food. She's the host of the Food Love Podcast. That's Food Love, which is one word. And this episode, we mainly talk about vegetarianism and veganism. At the end of the podcast, I'm going to give some commentary that I never got around to saying. And at the beginning of the podcast, which is right now, I'm also going to make a few points that I never had a chance to say because these podcasts, these interviews, and these discussions, it's all dynamic. And sometimes the conversation just shifts to another topic and I never got to go back and like say, hey, by the way, I just, there's one more thing I want to say. And for whatever reason, it just escapes me and I don't get a chance to share an idea in time. And also it was a two and a half hour discussion. I just didn't want to extend it any further so that I felt bad taking up so much of her time and going off on all these different tangents. It was a fun conversation, but that's why I felt guilty. But still, I thought it might be interesting to point this out. So at the beginning of this podcast, you're going to hear that I asked her why she doesn't want to be a vegetarian now, even though it's something she postpones for the future. I've heard that comment so often from people saying, yeah, 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 one day I'm going to become a vegetarian. I, that's what I want to do. And I don't really understand why people postpone it. You'll hear her answer, but I'm never really totally satisfied with the answer because some of them want to do it just for health reasons. Okay, that's fine. But then that makes begs the question is, well, if you think it's healthier to be a vegetarian, why are you postponing that on the other hand people are fat and they eat potato chips and they eat terrible diet or smokers and they say yeah yeah one day i want to quit smoking so i understand the psychology of postponing something that is good for you even though you know damn well that you should be doing it but you just postpone it just like people postpone anything that is supposedly healthy for you but what i don't understand is for those who think that vegetarianism or veganism is a good for a moral reason, not just health reason, but mainly for a moral reason, that I struggle a bit to understand a bit more. Because to me, it reminds me a bit of Thomas Jefferson. Now, I know that sounds like a non sequitur, but Thomas Jefferson knew that slavery was bad. He wrote about it, and he said that one day our nation will get rid of slaves because it's just morally impossible to defend. And yet he had slaves, many slaves. And he really wanted to free them, but he was under such financial straits toward the end of his life that he just couldn't even afford to free his slaves. And yet Thomas Jefferson wanted in the future to free his slaves. And perhaps if he lived long enough, maybe he would have gotten to that point. And it's kind of the same thing. It's like if you think vegetarianism or veganism is the right thing and that eating animals is wrong, why would you want to postpone that? It's like, I'm a racist today. I know one day I want to not be a racist Ah, I'll do it someday. I'll get around to it. But for now, I'm going to stay to be in being a racist. When it comes to moral things, you would think that you don't really want to postpone being more moral because then you're going to run into some serious cognitive dissidence. And I realize that some parents feel obligated to give their children animal protein. One of my good friends said, oh no, animal protein is different than regular protein, which I've always thought that's kind of bullshit because really? Do people who are vegetarian or vegan, do they not grow? Are they like shrunk? Are they unhealthy in any way? Vegetarians and vegans tend to outlive animal eaters on average. So it's obviously healthier. And you have Olympians who are vegetarian and vegan. Just go and search for Olympians who are vegetarian or vegan and you're going to get an incredibly long list. And so you don't need animal protein 
to be healthy and strong and vibrant and live a long life. And yet, still, parents will sometimes say, no, 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 my child needs animal protein because it's just special and different. It's got some magical property that beans and other vegetable proteins don't have. And one more thing, I don't want to have a misunderstanding here. To be clear, I'm not saying or even suggesting that everybody should be vegetarian or vegan. I just look for moral consistency among people. So, for example, if somebody looks at me in the face and says, hey, well, I don't see a problem with our factory farming techniques, what's the big deal? You know, you know, they're just animals. So, it's okay. I'm like, all right, well, that makes total sense why you should eat meat. You're morally consistent. What makes me scratch my head is when I see people who are so self-righteous about being against hunting, and then they will have a beef steak. That's more of a head-scratcher for me. Or somebody who says that vegetarianism or veganism is morally correct, but then doesn't do it. <laughs> but if somebody says there's nothing morally wrong with raising cattle and farms and livestock and milking them and in small cages and taking their milk and making cheese and all sorts of stuff and raising them in a kind of confined space and putting hens and chickens on top of each other to produce eggs and slaughtering them and doing all the things that factory farms do and all that is totally fine on a moral level and you're fine with that then it totally makes sense to eat meat go for it eat fish meat whatever you want but if you feel horrible about the way that animals are treated in factory farms whether it is for their meat or for whatever product that they produce then i don't understand what are you waiting for one last point i don't know where rufina stands actually i should have asked her that does she want to be a vegetarian or vegan because it's the moral thing to do or is it just for health reasons or some other reason maybe I didn't probe that question, so I'm not sure where she stands. But I'm telling you all these things mainly because you, my dear listener, might be facing this similar dilemma in your mind. And I hope these ideas, as uncomfortable as they are, might coax you into rethinking your habits of eating. Give me your thoughts on this issue. Maybe help me understand. I regret not having probed and pushed a little bit harder on Rufina at the conversation. But as I mentioned earlier, the conversation just switched and I didn't have a chance to ask her those tough questions. I know that Rufina subscribes to my podcast and so there's a high likelihood that she could be hearing me right now saying these comments. Well, if you are Rufina, you're welcome to come back on the podcast and we can talk more about this because I, I hate making comments like this and then not giving her a chance to make some point that I just am not capable of seeing at the moment. But maybe, but maybe you can help solve this problem that makes me scratch my head a bit and I'm a bit confused. Why is it that we postpone the right moral decision on certain issues? All right, now let's go into this relatively short podcast with Rafina Garay. It's a tough question that we kind of touched on before talked about this mm -hmm. before, but what would have to happen for you to then become a vegetarian or a vegan? You said that you, oh. you see it in your destiny at some point, Yeah, but why is it in the future and not in the present? And what would have to happen for it to become your present? 
Yeah. Because I think a lot um, of people, by the way, agree with you. Yeah. A lot of people I yeah, talk to say, yeah. I would love to be vegetarian. I just can't. I just can't. You know, and, yeah. and, and, and they postpone it. It's always in the future. So a lot of people listening to this are probably thinking the same thing like you. They're like, yeah, I want to do that. I want to eat less meat, but I just, it just tastes so good. <laughs> well, you know, I, so I think one of the things that I've learned is that I can make almost anything taste good, you know? So, and I have the skill set. like when I was cooking for some of those, um, retreats, I was cooking vegan and I loved the food I was eating and I knew my body felt healthier mm. eating it. I, I think I told you previously, my sinuses cleared up. I didn't have any allergy problems and I could smell things like so much further away than before. And, um, so it just felt better in the body. And, and like, that's like an intelligence you gain from, from doing it. I think the thing that would have to happen is my son would have to go off to college right? <laughs> and I would then just cook what I wanted to eat. And my, my partner, I think too, feels like he could easily go vegetarian and, and we're incrementally increasing our vegetarian um, dishes on a weekly basis, largely kind of consuming more Indian foods that are super flavorful. Mm. And, you know, that, so, so I think we were experimenting with different uh, cuisines where we can do that. I have a few friends who are both vegan and vegetarian. And I think as I help them kind of, you know, learn how to feed themselves better, because one of the things I found is many vegetarians who've been friends of mine have struggled with how to feed themselves enough of what they would enjoy eating and, and that their repertoire for cooking is, is limited. And I find that if I'm teaching people to cook something, then I'm probably also going to eat it myself at home. So I imagine that I'll probably over time offer some, you know, classes or something to, to help with, with people learning those kinds of things. Again, I, I miss teaching. Um, and it's sort of a creative side project that I'm, I'm hoping to do mm-hmm. in the fall. Okay. Interesting. One of the things that I think about is something that, do you know Steven Pinker? No. Okay. -hmm. Steven Pinker wrote many books and one of his latest ones, Enlightenment Now. And in it, he shows how humanity has evolved in its moral code over the centuries. And so that oftentimes when we look back a few centuries, no matter what time period we are, we see the previous few centuries as being barbaric in whatever ways. So, Mm -hmm. for example, uh, we would burn and torture uh, cats. We would, Mm -hmm. in the Middle Ages, we had torture devices in Mm -hmm. there. In the biblical times, we stoned people who were adulterers. Mm -hmm. We killed homosexuals. We, uh, We allowed polygamy. We... All uh, the way we treated women, the way we treated different races, in slavery, you know, the slavery, of course. And mm-hmm. so we look back at all these previous generations and we look at them as barbaric. And so mm-hmm. it's logical to assume that in the 23rd or 24th century, people are going to look at us in the 21st century mm-hmm. as being barbaric in some yeah. form. Sure. I, I can't imagine why they wouldn't. And so then mm-hmm. Steven Pinker asked the question, what would that be? And he answered it as saying the fact that we eat and kill live animals, you know, Mm. living animals. And that Mm -hmm. will be Mm -hmm. the thing that the 24th or 25th century people, or maybe even the 22nd century people will look Mm -hmm. at us and say, how could my grandparents have done that? Just in the same way that we Mm -hmm. look at how could our grandparents have supported the Jim Crow laws 
or slavery mm-hmm. or the way we treated homosexuals or on and on the women and all blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah, blah. And, and mm-hmm. so I am, and I think it's because we, the factory farming techniques is so hidden from us and is something that is mm-hmm. not talked about. It's not shown on the news. It's really, you can find it if you go on YouTube and you sure. start searching for mm-hmm. it, but it's just mm-hmm. not talked about. And even I remember, sorry, I'm talking too long, but there's one point no. where my Buddhist Buddhism teacher, she, you know, Buddhists are usually vegetarian, but she said she couldn't, she looked at the meat and she just couldn't think of a cow when she saw it because it's yeah. just this nice little square rectangle piece and it just mm-hmm. tastes delicious. And it's so mm-hmm. separated from it being a cow. And so we've, mm-hmm. and then same, it goes all the way back to the beginning of our conversation when you had to eat the, oh, you didn't have to, but you decide to eat the eye of a fish. Mm-hmm. And in the United States, yeah. so often we don't have the head of the fish because it's mm-hmm. offensive to so many people. It's, mm-hmm. it's horrible. Uh, mm-hmm. And so that's my two cents. I think that despite what you say that, you know, you don't want to eat lab grown meat but i think eventually probably because it's going to become so prohibitively expensive to have farm animals compared to maybe the cost of production of lab grown meat or vegan meat you know vegetarian meat plant based meat is going to become competitive enough i'm talking about in 100 years mm. because land because you need so much land to grow a cow and mm-hmm. and the factory farm stuff and so i think eventually it's going to be so competitive that Eventually people, if they want real, you know, they want a real burger, they're just going to, it's going to be cheaper to buy a lab grown burger potentially. And mm-hmm. then eventually the whole society will just fade out this whole domestication of animals and livestock. Oh. And eventually it's just going to be as popular as riding a horse is today. And, you know, in other words, very few people are making yeah. horseshoes. It's just going to be an antiquated practice that very few people actually do. And oh. then they'll self-righteously look back. And last thing I'll say mm-hmm. is this. I remember during the George Floyd protests and there was a lot of people mm-hmm. going and taking down uh, statues of people mm-hmm. because they once owned slaves or they somehow support mm-hmm. slavery or support segregation or blah, 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 blah. And I said, beware of what you guys are doing because you're, ju- you're using 21st century morals on 20th century or 19th century or 18th century people. Mm-hmm. One day, the 22nd century people or the 23rd century people are going to take down all of our statues because all the people on statues were all meat eaters and ate animals. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, you know, I, I think more power to them. Like, like go for it, right? <laughs> like, there's no reason not to. If that's if if enlightenment happens, mm-hmm. then why not take down the vestiges of of representation that that doesn't speak to the values of the time mm-hmm. you know i think yeah because because in some ways like that would that would assume that you know in the future people would feel that these representations of anybody would c- kind of create that trauma like if if we all of a sudden begin to understand that every animal is sentient mm. right like we have a cat we call him rv kitty but his name is Jackson Pollock and he came to us through um, the Humane Society. And this cat is truly a family member to us. Right. And, and you know, we really think this cat is sentient because we don't understand how he un- seems to understand English, right? right. Like we can communicate with this cat. And he is the one who tells us that maybe we're wrong 
about not recognizing the sentient nature of all animals, mm. right? Because if it can, if we can feel this way about a cat, if we bothered to spend the time with any other animal, maybe we'd feel that way about those other animals. Right. So that, I guess that's also one of the reasons why I think over time we'll probably be vegans or <laughs> vegetarians. You know, my partner has said to me, what if we learn that plants are also similar this way? Right, <laughs> like, right. We just don't know how to read it, right? Yeah. Like. I'd like to take a minute to tell you about another podcast I think you'll enjoy. If I've learned anything about you, it's that you want real talk about the world around you. That's why I think you'll like the podcast Out Travel the System, brought to you by Expedia. It's taking a transparent look at what it's like to travel these days, whether it's through stories from people who have continued cautiously traveling through the pandemic or by staying tuned to the very latest news from the industry. OutTravel the System is backed by a solid foundation of data from Expedia, which means it can guide listeners through the best ways to maximize their travel budgets. The podcast is providing inspiration by talking to people who have made travel a central part of their lives, from professional travel bloggers to travel journalists and beyond. This season features U.S. destinations like Chicago, Boston, and New York, as well as international locations like Spain and France. The episodes will guide you through when to go, where to stay, what to do, and everything else you need to know. Look for Out Travel the System on your favorite podcast platform and like and subscribe now. My son watches these different nature science programs and we, you know, it blew my mind when I realized there were the, there's this chemical signaling, yep. um, you know, a phosphorescence that is unseen to our eyes where butterflies can navigate their way like a runway onto a plant. And there's just so little we really truly understand oh, yeah. with our naked eyes. And that's, and that's why, that's why I don't get too self-righteous with this thing at all, because I yeah. kill mosquitoes all the time. Right. And, and sure. like... Why is that killing a mosquito any better any than different. killing a leopard? I mean, it's just like, yeah. and, and, and same thing with plants. Again, I don't get very self-righteous and moralistic about it because, mm -hmm. you know, like you said, there's evidence that through the roots, plants could be communicating mm -hmm. in a certain way. And, and like I said at the very beginning, I eat meat often when I travel or mm -hmm. animals. And I just don't want anybody yeah. to misunderstand what I'm trying to say. Like there's some people who I think are vegan or vegetarian and they are so self-righteous and judgmental against other people, you know, barely looking down on everybody else. And mm -hmm. I think that is the wrong way to try to communicate the message that they yeah. want to communicate. Yeah. I think it's nice to give people space to evolve right. and to, to learn their own relationship. Uh, you know, when you talked about, for me, when you talk about lab meat being part of the future, mm -hmm. um, in that stronghold way for a culture. What I, does that I, mean? Stronghold way? Like that it is the norm, that that's all we're eating. And that if you were to try and get like a regular hamburger that we know today from livestock, right, instead of from a lab, that that would be the most costly form of hamburger that you could find. That's a hypothesis. That, I don't know if that's true. Yeah, I mean, right. It's a hypothesis. It's a potential, right. you know, outcome of the popularity of lab-grown meats, right. right? It's a potential right. futurist view of right. a market sort of succeeding. I would say that it's mistaken, in that we forget that the livestock are are part of how we steward the land. Mm, I understand. So when when a cattle farmer like Will Harris does regenerative farming, he's you know rotating them through paddocks, right? And the waste matter of those cows is feeding the soil, mm -hmm. and 
the idea, and I guess this is part of the holistic nature of the health of an ecosystem, if all of a sudden, like, like we have too much production of, of cattle, we're eating more meat than we need to eat in this country, for sure. Mm-hmm. If you're going to eat meat, I would, I would, rec- you know, I would definitely endorse eating meat that you're going to find from, from white oak pastures, regenerative farmers, people who are committed to permaculture or anything like that, because they're considering the whole environmental system. And if, for example, you were to convert all of the cattle farms into laboratories creating these meat, like let's just follow the dystopian view. Okay. I wouldn't call it dystopia because for me it's dystopia. If you were to follow that line of thinking, you would end up not stewarding the land anymore. And you would have more commerce, more laboratories, more people working technology jobs. Uh, And you wouldn't have people working in the dirt, getting the probiotics from working in the dirt, working the land. I think you'd see an overall decrease in health. You know, I'd rather see more people. Like one of the questions I usually ask of people who are guests on the podcast is, what would you like to contribute in to a curriculum in schools a re-envisioning of home economics that would really help people understand how how one could relate differently and better to people from other cultures or people within our own culture or to the environment. Like, how would we have holistic health through that? How would we have greater empathy? And, you know, for me, I think I would say putting people out onto land Right to work the day of a farmer, to work the day of a cattle rancher, to get their hands dirty again, right? To experience what that feels like, to know in their bones what it means to take care of the land, to take care of animals. Like I think that would be a great way to to have people have a different relationship to their food. I think it'd also be good and to each other to do what I often saw and did in Africa is to see an animal slaughtered right before your eyes. It's, it's something, yeah. you know, when they take the knife, they, the Muslims have mm-hmm. a certain way to cut the throat open and you can hear the, oh <laughs> of, the of the animal as it's breathing yeah. its last breath and you see the blood gushing out of their, their neck. Mm-hmm. You know, I think seeing that for yourself and I, once mm-hmm. when I was in Guinea-Bissau, they, they slaughtered a cow right in the middle of the street. I mean, it was a live cow oh, walking wow. around all of a sudden they just started wow. killing it. And uh, doing that and seeing that, I think, which is kind of... Africans see this stuff often and it's so they're mm-hmm. completely in tune and they're not so mm-hmm. disconnected from their food. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Rafina. There's one little afterword I had. I wish I had kind of pushed back on Rafina with regard to the statues of meat eaters being removed. I think she got my point, but in case listeners didn't get my point, which is I'm not sure it is right to just remove statues just because those people fail to live up to our contemporary morals. I think statues serve a purpose in reminding people of certain individuals who accomplished some amazing feats and to believe that they should be flawless or even worse, to believe that they should adhere to our modern moral codes and beliefs is too high of a standard, in my opinion. She kind of took the position, if I understood her correctly, of, yeah, if the 22nd century people want to remove statues of all meat eaters, which includes basically everybody who's ever lived, <laughs> who, who has a statue made out of them, because there's almost, I don't think there's that many who were pure vegetarians all their life. I'm not sure if that's right, in my opinion. 
I don't know. What do you guys think? I would say, go ahead, leave the statues. It was a time period where we ate meat. That was a part of our history. I don't think that I would want to take down a statue of Copernicus, who discovered what the earth revolves around the sun and not the other way around, or take down a statue of Einstein just because he ate meat. It just seems to me we're imposing a moral code on a time period where we felt differently. And morals are constantly evolving. We think that right and wrong is fixed, but definitely is not the case. I've never seen morals in one subject reverse so quickly as in the case of homosexuality and gay marriage and transgender, etc. I mean, it's just been incredibly lightning quick how we have changed on that subject. Whereas Obama, when he began his presidency, he had one opinion, which was mainstream. By the end of his presidency, he had completely reversed, and so had the nation and much of the world. So I'm unconvinced that we should use these modern moral codes that we have and judge people from a long time ago using those same moral codes. But what do you guys think? Post a message on my website, wanderlearn.com, or send me an email at ft at francistapon.com. Thank you. And don't forget to tune in for next week's episode, which is the final episode in this four-part series where we discuss eating crickets and be too attached to things.